The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. This episode was produced by Cabby Productions. Welcome back to the Conquest of Bliss, everyone. I am here with Sarah, the host of the Let's Talk About Sects podcast, where she talks about different cults, correct? True. And you pronounce that very well. That is, uh, that slips up many, many a person, including my music composer, who can never say it properly at all. <laughs> well, I mean, I have been telling people about the Instagram account, right? So it's like, um, like, like since years back. So I'm always like sects. And I thought it was the cleverest thing in the whole world. So I just automatically love your podcast. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to any yet because, of course, you know, when you're doing a lot of output, it's hard to do the input as well. Um, but yeah, so you've been podcasting for three years? Yeah, I just finished up the third season of the show and each season is just eight episodes because it's, it, mine is much more like really heavy research and writing and sometimes interviewing people as well. But it's like a lot of work that goes into each one. So I figured that was my, that's what I could do sustainably, one episode a month for eight months of the year. And so far, so good. It's going really well. And I, I did mean to ask, why had you registered that Instagram under that same name? <laughs> okay, so uh, just quickly, just going to fill the audience in on what, what we've kind of referenced a couple times now is, so uh, I don't even know, years ago, bef before your podcast, I think, I registered an Instagram handle, Let's Talk About Sects, Mostly because I just thought it was so funny um, because it's so much like let's talk about sex. And I was like, hell yeah, that's so clever. And I love to talk about theology. I love to talk about philosophy and all of that stuff. So I just thought that it was just super clever. And I couldn't believe my luck that I had found this name. But then one day I got a mention and it said, and this was like an embarrassingly long time between when uh, it was mentioned and I actually reached out to you, but I got this mention and I was like, oh, there's a podcast by that name. And I thought I should contact them because I wasn't using Insta at all. I had three pictures on my Instagram and I was like, I should contact them and offer this to them because obviously they'll get better use. And then I promptly forgot about it until like what, a week and a half ago when I reached out. So like, it's not even a good story. I just happened to have gotten the handle and then was like, yeah, like I'm not using it for anything. It's like such a waste when there's like a show. It was a very, yeah, it was exact a very same kind name. offer to pop up in my inbox. And uh, look, I just, I hope that I'm going to do it some service because I haven't managed to post anything yet, but I have got it set up. So that's a start. I'm um, yeah, notoriously terrible at social media for my own podcast purposes, even though I do marketing for my part-time day job and yeah, I, I'm good at it when I'm promoting other people's <laughs> things, but my own stuff, it's like a, a weird extra step that I find troubling. <laughs> yeah, self-promotion is always so hard. I have a much easier time pushing other people's stuff than my own. Um, I do this technique that I call anti-marketing, which is where I just tell people it's not very good and it seems to work. So... <laughs> Like I'll uh, I'll send you I'll send you my commercial um, after this. It's it's very silly, and uh, yeah, so very silly, and so yeah, so yeah. I reached out and then I asked if you wanted to be on my podcast because I'm shameless. Look, uh, a generous turn <laughs> leads someone to have a, a positive feeling about jumping on someone's podcast. But my general, I think my general approach to life is say yes as much as possible because you never know what's going to come from anything really. 
Absolutely. I, I did not always think that way. And it is amazing. The transformation when it's like, you know, like I hear the excuses, you know, the, the intrusive thoughts or whatever that come into your head and say, like, this is a bad idea for this reason and that reason and this reason. And instead of like, you know, um, I don't know what the word would be, but like, instead of going with those thoughts, I've decided, no, I'm going to just do the things, all the things I'm afraid of. And like, let's see how vulnerable I can be. And oh my gosh, it's worked out so well so far. That's great. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I think mine's also particularly if you find something terrifying, you should definitely go for it. And it does always make me hate myself in that moment as well. But it's uh, put me in some really challenging situations that I'm sure I've gained a lot from. So if you don't, okay, by the way, if I ask any question that you don't want to answer, just be like, y'all, no. Um, But what would you say is the most terrifying thing that you've done that's yielded results that you were surprised by how good they were? Ooh, well, um, gee, there's a couple that come to mind, but I don't know about the results side, like results, results, but, um, I was asked on a, a pa- or like outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Like I was asked on a panel for a, like a conference, uh, down in Melbourne last year. And that, that's the sort of thing that really terrifies me. I'm kind of like, particularly for the podcast, I'm really scripted. I read from a script that I've prepared well ahead of time. I'm not, even now I'm not like, I don't feel like I'm an off the cuff kind of person, but live in front of an audience, that's like absolutely terrifying to me. But I, I said yes, because I was sticking with my, my approach to life and, um, and it was, yeah, it was a really fantastic experience. It was like really, really scary, but it was a wonderful panel of people. And it was like a couple of true crime podcasters, um, from, you know, big media institutions in Australia. And I was, I felt very out of my depth, but it was, it was great. It, It had loads of good feedback and it was just, it was like results wise, it was much more about me proving to myself that I could do something that I was terrified of than anything else, I would say. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. And probably the most valuable thing that you could get um, from that is, you know, like, I mean, money's great, but it goes really fast, you know, um, experience, it, it enriches your life in a way that money just never can. Like, yeah, maybe you can buy more experiences with money, but you know, whatever, you know, get all convoluted in that, that rabbit trail, you know? Um, okay. And then I had, okay, I have one question. This is the only question that I like thought of ahead of time. And I'm just curious. So I know that North American media is, is popular around the world, right? Mostly American and I'm Canadian, but what would you say based only on like your experiences with Canadians and Americans and the media and stuff, what would you say is the biggest difference in how Australians view happiness and how, North Americans view happiness and interact with the concept. Mm, yeah, interesting. Um, I guess my knowledge of North America is going to be much more US-based than Canadian-based. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I figured that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a few friends in Canada, but the media-wise, media we get a lot of American media here, a lot of UK as well, as and then Australian. So I think the thing I noticed with American ideas around happiness, and, you know, it's not to say Australians aren't, similar, but there's, there can be a real, I don't, and I don't want to sound judgmental either, but sometimes it seems like there's a really individualistic side to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess from, from my perspective, and this might not be an overall Australian perspective either, is just 
I think that there's a lot more to be gained in happiness from a more community perspective and that helping others can bring you much more of a sense of happiness than always concentrating on your own, what you personally can gain from a situation. Absolutely. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And, and I'm uh, in case in case you're worried, I will say, you know, anything that you say, I it's off the cuff. And it's just a one person's perspective. And I think everyone, you know, knows that just your your experience, your life experience has brought you here. So um, nobody's going to think you're judgmental. Don't worry. Uh, well, and I, I, I think I actually, yeah, it's also like blanket statements about a whole a whole country, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I'm just curious if you've noticed like culturally, you know, and, and I actually tend to I mean, I don't know much about Australian culture. I'd have maybe I could probably count on one hand how many Australian friends I have. Um but I, I would agree. And, and I mean, the United States is even more individualistic than Canada, but Canada definitely shares that that culture um, overall. And of course, there's community minded people everywhere. You know, of course, you know, a blanket statement isn't ever going to be accurate to an entire population. But for sure, that's something that you see a lot where it's the, you know, the lone wolf, you know, look out for number one. And, and that's great and important in some ways for sure you know like self-care super super important but i think self-care is is actually most successfully approached when it's self-care keeping in mind how that self-care affects the people around you so it still ends up being community-minded i think that's absolutely true and i think you make a really good point that um in order to to find happiness is i think it is really important to be aware of your own needs and that is like hugely if you don't look after yourself first, then you're not in a good position to be able to help other people either. But I think it's um, it can be really tempting to fall into this kind of feeling around everyone can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and we, we're all responsible for our own destiny, which is, well, great if that were true. But actually, if we set up a society that's more fair and in which we can all be there for each other and care about each other and, and work together, I think we'll all do better in the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with that so, so much. I am, (laughs) I'm, uh, you know, painfully socialist in certain ways. Um, (laughs) So I I agree so much, like I'm a big believer in lifting people up. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal a little secret that I've got in mind um, about plan I have. Um, So I want to start doing lives when I have a computer that is, you know, um, more, you know, you know, uh, faster, better, you know. Um, and so you can see behind me, I've got this green screen, um, that someone gifted the pod. So what I would like to do is feature different artists, visual artists every week on the podcast And I'm, I'm so little, you know, but I think any exposure is good. Like I love stuff like that projects where, where we're building onto each other. Um, have you had an opportunity to be a part of any communal community type situations? Community type situations. Like like outside I mean, of just like your regular community. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do get involved with initiatives and things where I can. And I suppose, I don't know, like I think a lot of people are talking about it at the moment. And again, it just seems so weird to be talking about happiness right now, considering <laughs> what everyone is going through at the moment. But I think it's also really important because as we're all going through this this huge world-changing event, we need to figure out a way to get through it and still feel okay. But that, you know, I did that thing that a lot of people are doing where I popped a bunch of notes in my neighbours' letterboxes and started a little WhatsApp group just to make sure that we're all 
doing okay and if any neighbours need anything from the shops or whatever it is. And it's just been like the light of every day is getting like a little message from a neighbour who's like sharing this amazing knitting that she's doing and like actually learning who these people are and how fascinating they are. And they were just down the road from me the whole time. It's just been so wonderful. That is so beautiful. I actually like literally, I don't know, you'll be, you'll probably not be able to see it, but I have literal goosebumps. Um, that, that is so beautiful. And those are the kinds of things in my, in my, you know, I try to be humble, but I'm not super successful opinion. Um, but that those are the things that really make a difference. Those are the things that people remember and make people feel part of you know, and build people up. And, and I mean, it's, it's funny. You said it's a funny time to be talking about happiness. I started this podcast, um, like almost right before the, the coronavirus came in and, and shut everything down. And, and the timing has just been so funny because, because of the Corona, not only are people available to have the conversations, a lot more people are available to have the conversation. But on top of that, people are dying to find some reprieve and like it's just it's an interesting it's just such an interesting thing the way that life works sometimes where like because like I, I couldn't have predicted this and I probably because I'm like the most contrarian person in the world probably wouldn't have started it if I'd known because everyone was starting a podcast and I wouldn't have wanted to be a sheeple or whatever, you know? And so, so I wouldn't have started it, but I did. And then this happened and I'm like, okay, well I, I beat the rush, you know? Um, but really it's like this huge blessing because like I said, I probably would have been too prideful to start it if it had been like two later. So it's, it's so funny. It's quite topical in Australia at the moment because, um, there's just been this furor all on Twitter about this um, this piece, this comedy piece that was done because it's this constant, uh, it's a, been a joke for a while. Oh, don't start a <laughs> podcast. It's like, you know, there's so many people doing it. Don't add to the noise. But these, <laughs> these ABC uh, personalities, which is our national broadcaster, they put together this comedy piece and it got this really big backlash because people think, yeah, don't tell people not to start a podcast because at the same time, it's great that there's this open medium where anyone can have a voice and have it be heard and, and contribute to the dialogue. But, you know, that said, oh, so much of my brain space at the moment is being occupied by the wrong messages getting out by people saying things who are spreading kind of conspiracy theory type stuff and the, the danger that that is posing as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how we that's how we got connected on Facebook, because I've got it locked down Facebook. You saw my post. So, you know exactly how I feel about the conspiracy theory situation. Because um, <laughs> like and I don't normally post things like that, but I was like, you know, taking a stand. You know, you know how it is. Sometimes you just get all on your well, yeah, sometimes you feel like you have to say something because it's so important. But, oh, it's, yeah, that one's a, that's an interesting conundrum because it's not something that's ever really going to change someone's mind either. How do you change well, someone's you know, mind? Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how many people's minds that that post changed. And I know like, the post is a little silly um, as far as, like, it's not really the tone I normally go for. But I know it, it changed one person's mind. You know, they deleted, they deleted a few posts that I, they had made um about it you know so sometimes you, you might need to clarify for the listeners oh. what the post was so that they <laughs> that is what a good call um so we were just talking about the uh the or i was talking about the conspiracy theory 
um, situation and how there really is a circular logic that goes into it where no matter what someone says, it can't be defended against. And realistically, like maybe the conspiracy theories are true, that that's possible. But the, the, the fact is, even if they're true and we know about it, there's nothing that we can do to actually fix that. You know, we don't, we don't have power by spreading this, but if it weren't a conspiracy theory, we are actually putting people in danger. And so that's that's the, the gist of the post. And I had uh, specifically a girl had pull me, tried to pull me into a conspiracy theory thing. And instead of responding to her, I, I made this post. So that actually was as a result of this one girl. And, and then I went and I DM'd her and said, if you want to know what I think about this, look at my last post. And she deleted, um, you know, three or four of the posts that were conspiracy theory minded. And like I said, what my message wasn't, don't believe it. My message wasn't, you, you can't even say it. My message was, please stop trying to bring people to your side because it's dangerous. And uh, so, so I'm, I'm always, I always feel really, really good if I can, you know, if I can help one person to see a different side of it and and the fact of the matter is i don't know that the conspiracy conspiracy theories aren't accurate i don't know that i do know that mathematically it's more safe to err on the side of caution since there's nothing i can do anyways um so that's that's where i went um but okay so i'm very very curious what got you into speaking for people um, you know, speaking out against the dangerous thinking that comes with cults and the brainwashing and, and you know, and, and being a voice for, for people who are so often unheard. Mm. So um, I guess originally it just started out of a basic human interest in uh, what is it that kind of, and so many people have this interest, which is proven by the audience. The show's getting, you know, like tens of thousands of downloads and it's great, but it's, that that same fascination is what started me on it was just thinking how how do people get so tied up in this uh believing in something that is it takes over their whole life and it causes them to disengage from family and friends and you know they become under the power of often a singular leader but often a leadership structure i just was really interested in in that and the more I looked into it, the more I ended up interviewing people who had had those experiences directly and ex-members. And even just from the first episode, I interviewed an ex-member. And then from there, it just, it took on a whole different aspect, which became, I guess, much more of a social justice um, motivation to me, because the more I learned, the more, the more it struck me how intense it is that this same kind of dynamic is replicating itself across society, across different cultures. It's like this this human need exists that gets filled by these cultic groups and, and strong mm-hmm. leaders who uh, use coercive control and nothing much is being done about it in so many places. There's a couple of places who have brought in a, a couple of laws that have some effect, but this stuff is destroying people's lives in in many cases and it's the more people I spoke to the more it became clear that there's not a lot being done but one of the few things that we can do is share the red flags share these stories try and warn more people about how these groups operate and just try and get the word out a bit a bit wider so that people understand all of the all of the different aspects to how coercive control works and to how cults work, but also that so many of the people involved in them, they're not crazy, they're not stupid, 
they're they're victims. I think that absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's actually what I was gonna gonna lead into. So, um, you were talking about, you know, the interest originally being in human psychology and 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 how does this happen kind of thing, but. I, so I've, I've never been involved in a cult, but I've been involved in an MLM, which is, you know, a micro version, I think, of the what you're talking about, the coercive control stuff. And I can tell you, man, you, you don't know what's coming. You know, it's so unbelievably subtle at first until it's it's subtle until it's too late a hundred percent and so many of these groups these mlms they use all of those similar techniques and by the time you you get to a certain level you're so invested that it can be really hard to to pull yourself out of there yeah absolutely and and i mean of course like i said i'm not trying to compare the two because obviously you know um well, it depends, I guess, on the person and, and how involved they get in either. But obviously, there's a lot more um, potential for taking over your entire life when you're looking at uh, at cults. I and- mean, it, it really depends on the MLM, but I think there's a fair comparison there in a lot of cases um, because there are so many cultic groups, really, the way that they operate is, is quite a mirror for an M- MLM or it even has quite an MLM aspect to it because if you look at, you know, Nexium, for instance, it's like always spending more and more money to get higher in the self-help levels. And like this kind of mm-hmm. thing happens all the time. So a lot of these groups have MLM aspects to them and some of them do start as MLMs, but become more cults as it as it continues. As it progresses. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's so that's so fascinating. And and you touched a little bit earlier and, and again, you know, anything that you don't want to answer, that's fine. But um, you touched a little bit earlier when you were talking about the the being terrified to go to the panel. Um, imposter syndrome is is what I think that you're describing. And so, can you tell me a little bit about like, because you know, you were just kind of starting it out of interest, and then you found that wow, this is something that really needs to be said, needs to be talked about. You chose the most clever name ever, in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, <laughs> I I think you're very clever. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, and then all of a sudden, people were listening. People were paying attention, asking you more. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your emotional journey in that and, and how you came to be comfortable enough in where you are to to keep moving forward? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question because, as you say, I mean, I'm no... I didn't start out in any way an expert. So how did I even have a right to speak on these things? And I guess that was, I was really coming at it from the perspective of my background is um, I studied filmmaking and I've done a bit of writing. And so it was, I guess, more of a audio documentary type project. And suppose, I suppose I was coming at it from more of a journalistic angle. Okay. But a lot of what I found about these groups was, I mean, there are good journalists looking into them, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of sensationalist stuff out there. And there's also a lot of academics who are doing a lot of writing about these groups, but they're really coming at it from such a, you know, a really inaccessible uh, academic background. So it just seemed like there was a, a gap there to fill, which would be explaining it in a more everyday manner and that I might be an okay person to give that a go. And there is a bit of in- imposter syndrome there for <laughs> sure. <laughs> but as it's gone on, I think I've just, I've researched so many of these groups and now spoken to so many ex-members and 
also academics and, and, and journalists and other people that I do think I have a good level of understanding now um, to be able to speak on it a little. But the other thing is that a lot of the ex-members who reach out to me, which happens a lot these days, they have trouble finding platforms to get oh. their stories out on. So what that meant for me was it made me realise that I was able to offer the platform to them that that they weren't finding elsewhere or if they were finding it elsewhere with other journalists because of the format of an article or a small tv piece or whatever a lot of the detail was getting cut out so a lot of the the nuance was getting missed so even though yeah yes I, I I do question sometimes who am I to even speak about this stuff at the same time because I can offer now a platform to people who have had those experiences and can speak directly to them and then have people hear what they've been through, that that's enough for me to feel like it's a worthy thing to do. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. It sounds to me, I say the word beautiful a lot, so, um, but it sounds to me like, uh, like, like basically it boils down to you realize the mission is bigger than you, bigger than the, any hubris or fear that, that might be there. Um, and that's that's really incredible. I just I just love that. Um, I uh... well, and I think also, and thank you. That's really nice of you to say. But I think also it's that a huge part of my perspective is it's okay to be wrong sometimes, and as long as you can admit that, and you're coming to something with with that knowledge, and you're you you have the humbleness to be able to recognize that, then it's okay to speak on something, I suppose. Well, and I agree with that. Um, I, uh, as long as, like, that's a huge, a huge point, is as long as you admit that you have no idea what you're talking about and you're just trying to do the right thing. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I think an interesting thing about this, and I didn't really mean to, to talk about this. It just kind of, I, like I said, just kind of whatever the conversation does. Um, but an interesting thing is I think one of the things that, a lot of people have in common when they end up in MLMs and in, in cults and any kind of those those kind of situations is that really they're seeking community, they're seeking connection, they're seeking happiness. You know, they're and mm-hmm. and it's the most vulnerable people who you know are genuinely going out looking for that that something that we're all looking for, and and then that's taken advantage of. Yeah, yeah, I think that's 100% true, yeah. is that um, these groups wouldn't exist if there wasn't this need in society that these people are lacking. And I think that we can look at, you know, our, I guess, Western societies particularly. They, we aren't offering the same sense of community that we once did in the past. Um, there are some areas in which you can find that sense of community, but it can be quite hard to, to seek out. But at the same time... While some of these groups do attract really vulnerable people, I get asked the question a lot, like, is it a certain type of person who ends up in a cult? And I think it would extend maybe sometimes to MLMs as well. But it's oftentimes it's not a particular type of person, but it's that they're at a particular stage in life. And that's why uh, a lot of recruitment happens around university age, because it's at a point in your life where you're starting to assess what is it that I want out of life? What is my meaning? You're going through like this big transition. You're maybe like moving out of home and you're trying to figure out what am I going to do with this thing called life? Or it could be someone coming out of a divorce, for instance. It's a, yeah. a, a point where you're reassessing everything. 
And that's often when people get involved. And what they're usually looking to do is usually something really positive. They either want to work on themselves and, and change something deep within themselves, or they want to really change society and do something really meaningful. So these are good people who are trying to do some really wonderful things and they just end up <sighs> under the spell of yeah, that's, that's, the wrong... Oh, that's so wild. I, I just... Yeah. Oh, man. I, I feel very, very blessed because I have been in that position more times than most. Um, my life has taken radical turns so very many times now. And thankfully, you know, thankfully I've had a support network that, you know, shook me out of like, I mean, even the MLM thing, you know, if it hadn't been for my support network supporting me, but also guiding me at the same time, I don't know what I would have, uh, what I would have done. So, uh, I guess I, I don't know if you mind me asking, like, what was it that got you out of that MLM situation? Just my support system, um, continue to love me and talk to me about it in ways like it's, it's very, very difficult, you know, someone to it. People would, people, like the people that I loved would mention things to me, but not in a way that made me feel judged until eventually I figured it out. So I was in, I was in the MLM for two, two-ish years. Oh, and I also happened to get sick at that time, which I know doesn't sound like a blessing, but turns out in a lot of us, I've got some chronic illnesses going on. Oh, no. And, uh, and, and so having having gotten sick around me saying, you know, like and telling me that I didn't need to, to do these things to have acceptance and love really, really made a big difference. And I mean, and there's one thing that I learned is that everybody that I was in the MLM with, none of them were monsters. None of them were people who were trying. They were just as much into the system as I was. And it's, you know, like I, I don't hold any of them. I don't feel any anger for any of them because I realized that, you know, they just happened to have that position first. That's really the difference between me. I mean, I recruited people, you know, um, thank thankfully all the people that I recruited are no longer a part of it and stuff. But, you know, like it's, it's so, it's amazing how easy it is. So I, I would ask you, um, another question, uh, because that's what I do. I ask a bunch of questions. Um, <laughs> so what, uh, what would you say someone who is looking for that meaning, looking for that hat, looking for that way to make a difference, how can they avoid, you know, and I mean, I know that's a really big question and there's a lot involved in it, but what are kind of the, the first things that someone might notice, um, in, in order to avoid falling into that trap? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really tricky. There's a few red flags. Um, I guess a lack of ability to question the uh, kind of the the belief system um, tends to be a big one. If it's if it's really resistant to being challenged in any way, I would think any kind of positive kind of community movement would be totally up for discussing the the detail of what the beliefs are and why and um it's yeah generally with cults there will be some kind of a leader or leadership person who is just not not up to it's really difficult to question them or they're just almost an infallible figure yeah. who can who can do no wrong um 
But it can be hard to see that from the outset because often what you're getting into at first is like the outer the outer rings of a much deeper belief system. And, you know, in fact, many people who get involved with cults, they'll just always be on these outer, outer circles and they never get that deep. So it never becomes that damaging. But once people get really, really invested and really involved, sometimes it takes that long for for the red, red flags to come out. So it's, it can be a really, a really difficult one. Most people I interview, I ask them the same question really to get their perspective on what are the red flags that you should look out for. And yeah, I think that they usually say, just always ask lots of questions. Um, there's loads more. <laughs> that's fair and kind of jumping off of, of uh, the point that you're making, one of the things that I know, um, actually correct me if I'm wrong, one of the things that I think um, is is a telltale sign, quote unquote, would be coaching people ahead of time. You know, people are going to not like this and this is what you say to them. Um, you know, I've seen that a lot of times, both the MLMs and the cults. And so if people are gearing you up to, because because that's, a, that's actually a really common technique in religion, in all sorts of things, is you gear people to feel othered which mm. makes you feel close unity it is. Mm-hmm. So I was just jumping thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly it. And I, I think that really feeds back into another very big red flag, which is a group that uh, causes you or leads you to distrust your friends and family who are outside of that group, because that's really common. Um in extreme cases, they cause, they cause you to disassociate with those people entirely, like you cut them off because they're a bad influence on your life and, you know, they're questioning this belief system, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. But in lesser situations, it can happen to a lesser extent that they'll just start telling you that you can't trust what that person is saying anymore. And it, you've got to look at that and say, this is my, my family and the people who've known me the best for my whole life. Why is this group asking me to second guess those people and what they're saying mm-hmm. that's a really big big red flag for sure yeah and that that makes that makes a lot of sense to me um and so yeah definitely the dangers the dangers of seeking community and happiness the things that bring us contentedness is you know um i want to say predatory systems because again i think that rarely even even probably the leaders rarely do they set out to destroy people's lives it just happens really, really fast, you know? Um, so usually I wish with a game, are you playing a game? Okay. Sure. Um, sure. So it's it's not a good game, but you know, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know where people badly describe careers and stuff like that? That's that's the whole game. So I'm gonna read you the bad descriptions of these games, or these, th- these are movies. So you just have to guess the movie. Movies, okay. Okay. Um, okay. Talking frog convinces son to kill his dad. Talking frog convinces son to kill his dad. I can't guess. What is it? It's it's Star Wars Episode Four or Five, whatever V is. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um. A guy that's alone in the forest kisses a dead body while seven other guys watch. Uh, uh, Snow White? You know what? It makes me so happy. <laughs> um, noseless guy has an unhealthy obsession with teenage boy. 
noseless guy. Noseless. Uh, Harry Potter? It is Harry Potter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, this one, this one, oh. Um, this one's a TV show. People drink coffee for 10 years. Friends. It is friends. I'm so, I love these so much. <laughs> and then. That's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> the last one is going to be. Girl has to pretend she's a man to be taken seriously. Girl has to pretend she's a man to be taken seriously. It's Disney. <gasps> <laughs> I can't figure so it out. Fun. What is it? It's 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 Mulan. Oh, oh, make I've a man out of you. <laughs> oh, play the plot. Um, <laughs> oh, now I know. <laughs> um, so before we go, is there anything that you want to add about happiness? And I mean, you can I, absolutely please plug your show, even though I have like a fraction of the audience you do. Maybe it's a different audience. Um. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I guess... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we've really gone into it all that much, but my general theories on happiness, uh, you, you alluded earlier to money and the pursuit of money is kind of, it's not, it's not going to bring you happiness and all those cliches. I think that's a really, it's a really privileged position to come from, but it's, for me, if you, if you can get your basic needs met, which is obviously if you're in a privileged position, you can get your basic needs met. You've got your your shelter and your food and your security and your safety and your health and all those things. Then, yeah, I think the accumulation of wealth is not what's going to bring you happiness. And I think that's causing so many problems in the world. I always prioritize experiences. And yeah, I think that that's my main approach to life. Yeah. Prioritize experiences. <laughs> and and you uh, you brought that to my attention the way that I had worded it because absolutely there's a lot of people where money is is everything. It's what they need. You know, they, they're not getting their needs met. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. The accumulation of wealth, if I if I have extra money, I usually usually just like find people to give it to because it stresses me out. I, I'm never gonna be rich. Um <laughs> be rich what's the point <laughs> exactly i'll be rich in love um <laughs> anyways thank you so so much sarah for um for joining us today and uh yeah so her podcast and she didn't let's talk about sects s-e-c-t-s and i will have the link underneath um again i mean her audience is much bigger than mine but you know it doesn't matter doesn't matter so uh that will be in the show notes as well thank you so much sarah for coming i appreciate it so much well thanks very much and, for having uh, me to my listeners i love you bye